0: All right, if you got your Bibles, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13, and 2 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 Samuel 12. I need to give you a disclaimer for these next two weeks, okay? There is no way we could have known what was going on in the world, and here at Waterfront, we start at the top And we work our way down through the passage. And so uh, you're going to find this. Even the t-shirts that we gave away today um, should be uh, an example to you. This Sunday, I'd planned on talking what I'm about to talk about way, way, I mean, months ago uh, when this was put together. And so this week and next, next week in particular, you just need to know as we go through this, the Lord speaks very loudly through the passages. This is not a pastor on his soapbox. Go back and listen to the tape. We're working through the passage verse by verse. So the big question, question. The title of the message today is, God, why is this happening? All right? God, why is this happening? Uh, This uh, message that we're going to go through has to deal with for David, uh, what I truly believe to be one of the worst days of his entire life uh, that he is about to navigate. One of the worst stretches, one of the worst weeks of his entire life that he has to navigate. It starts off today with this question. Have you ever struggled to understand why something had to happen a certain way? You ever struggled to understand why something had to happen a certain way? It's kind of that moment where you just go, man, I get that there's difficulty that has to take place, but did it really have to happen this way, right? Did it really have to happen like that? Um, Best example I can give to you that comes from one of my favorite musicals, Fiddler on the Roof. Did you ever see Fiddler on the Roof before? Fiddler on the Roof, beautiful story. Uh, A guy named Tevye is the main character, and uh, uh, Tevye, as they're introducing the character, uh, Tevye sings a song called If I Were A rich man, all right. And uh, the idea of the song is Tevya is living in a Ukrainian village. He's trying to make his way through life, and uh, he's sitting there, and he's got a great family. He's got a great village, but he sings this song, you know, if I were a rich man. You know, the idea is, Lord, I get that there have to be poor people. I get that there has to be difficulty. I get there have to be family issues and village issues, and then he goes, "Ah, but it sure would be nice to be wealthy, right? If I were a rich man, just just, is, it's just beautiful, so I don't do it very well, all right? But uh, the idea is, again, if I could not just, wouldn't it be easier... I got to go through difficulty, but couldn't I do it rich, Lord? You know, couldn't I just do it with some money in my pocket? Wouldn't it be easier? Couldn't it work if it was just a little bit easier? At the end of the song, Tevius says, would it spoil some vast eternal plan if I were a wealthy shimmy, shimmy, shimmy man? All right, I'm telling you, just the way that ends in the song. Go watch on YouTube, just a beautiful little story. That's how a lot of us feel. Is you go, Lord, it just would be nice if it could be easy. Just could be nice if I could do this with some money in my pocket. Does it have to be this specific way? And here's the thing at the end of the day, God is sovereign and he sees and knows all. He sees and knows all. If you got your Bibles, flip to 1 Corinthians 13 and we get a picture of this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. In fact, I believe that 1 Corinthians 13, 12 is the greatest promise of eternity that even though salvation, forgiveness, those things are incredible and they are our gateway to relationship with God, the true amazingness of eternity is wrapped up in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Here's what it says. Paul writes, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then, being when we go to him for eternity, we shall see face to face. Underline face to face and underline poor reflection. He says, Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now stop right there for just a minute. That to me is the greatest promise of eternity. Forgiveness and salvation, that is the gateway to our relationship with Almighty God. But do you know why eternity? will be so grand, because it says there that we will one day know God the same way that He knows us, the way that He knit us together in our mother's womb, the way that He knows the bits that forms us into exactly who we are, the promise of 1 Corinthians 13:12 is that we get to know Him the same way throughout eternity. He says, "Now, we see but a poor reflection. It's like looking at your face in a murky river. But then we shall see face to face. Now, the original Greek is a little bit more graphic. The original Greek is stoma e stoma. We translate it face to face because it was, a term, it was a term that would symbolize that for us now. Stoma means mouth. It says... That we know in part, like a poor reflection, but when we go to God, when we spend eternity with him, we will know him stoma estoma, mouth to mouth. Now, this is not Paul saying we're going to French kiss God, all right? That's not the picture. Stoma estoma means the rabbi is so close that you can smell the onions off the burger on his breath. That you truly, he's so close that you can feel the spit from his lips that comes right next to your face, that there is no hindrance whatsoever in our knowledge and understanding of God. On the same token, that's the relationship piece, but it is also true for us when it comes to our understanding of the difficulties of this world. Now we see like a poor reflection. Now we see, like we're looking into a reflection from a murky river. Then in eternity, we shall know stoma is stoma. We shall know mouth to mouth, face to face, without hindrance, why God did it this way. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? While our view is limited, God in his sovereignty sees everything in perfect clarity. He said it again. While our view is limited, God in his sovereignty, sees everything in perfect clarity. That now leads us to 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 13. If you remember, we've been going through the story of David, and specifically David when he should have gone off to war. He didn't. He stays at home, Ends up looking down uh, on a night when he uh, is restless. He hasn't used all his energy units. He's not doing what he's supposed to. Looks down, sees another man's wife, Bathsheba, bathing on the rooftop from uncleanliness. He then calls for her, has her brought up to his room. He sleeps with her. He gets her pregnant. He then tries to bring her husband in to cover it up. It doesn't work. So then he has her husband killed on the front lines. And then remember, he is celebrated for him taking in the widow even though he's been the one to orchestrate this man's death. Chapter 12 then begins with Nathan the prophet showing up and saying to David, you are the man, you are the one who's caused all this trouble. And he calls David out in his sin. Now look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. We're about to read some heavy verses here. It says, so David then said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan then replied, the Lord's taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. The son born to you will die. It says, after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child. Underline the Lord struck the child that your eye's wife had born to David and he became ill. Now stop right there for just a minute. The opening question I gave to you today is when we don't understand why things had to happen a certain way. Listen to me. The passage of Scripture that we're reading and delving into today is one that has scholars scratching their heads because it happened a certain way, and the author writes it a certain way. But you scratch your head and go, the Lord struck the child. The child did nothing wrong. This was for the enemies who showed utter contempt. And even the greatest of biblical minds look at this passage, scratch their head and go, I still have some questions about how all this works together. And this side of heaven, I don't believe that we are able to fully understand every little twist and turn of this passage and how it fits. And yet, it absolutely fits and is a powerful passage for us. If you're taking notes, write this down. You ready? Our big question we're going to look at today How do we navigate a trial that we don't fully understand? How do we navigate a trial we don't fully understand? If we, thousands of years later, read this passage and still have some questions, I guarantee you, David, as he was going through it, was scratching his head going, God, why? I get that I'm being punished, but God, why is this taking place? Why does it have to happen this way? I guarantee you, if David could trade his life for his sons, he would do it in an instant. So how do we navigate a trial that we don't fully understand? For some of you who've come in today and you're navigating a miscarriage, you are not alone. By the way, we could tell you of story after story that have taken place in our congregation and story after story of the beautiful rainbow babies that have come afterwards. Uh, one family in particular um, went through an awful, awful situation, awful miscarriage. And then um, on almost the anniversary, we able to give birth to twins. It's just an absolutely beautiful story, the way the Lord took care of it. But miscarriage... Every time you look at the situation and go, Lord, why? Surely there could have been another way. I don't fully understand this. Many of you, physical illness with you or someone you love, mental illness with you or someone you love, the death of somebody who was close to you from COVID, job loss, abuse, sudden breakup. If you are somebody who is navigating one of those trials, the Lord has not brought you here by accident today. My hope is that the path that David leads us down and how we navigate those trials, that it can give you hope and direction as you navigate it yourself today. Are you ready? Our big million-dollar question, how do we navigate a trial we don't fully understand? Let's walk the path with David starting in 2 Samuel. And now let's look at chapter 12, verses 16 and 17. It says, so David pleaded with God for the child. Underline David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into the house and he spent nights lying on the ground. The elders of the household stood beside him uh, to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. Stop right there for just a minute. Even though David has been told by Nathan the prophet how this situation is going to play out, I want you to notice this. Even with that knowledge, David still hits his knees in prayer and cries out for mercy for his son. He still begins to pray even though he's been told by God exactly how this situation is going to go. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is powerful. How do we navigate a trial we don't fully understand? Number one, while you can pray for help. While you can pray for help. Now you would say he's been told by God it's going to go a certain way. Is it still godly for him to fast and to pray? And the answer is absolutely. Prayer is not just a Santa Claus list that you present to God of all the stuff that you want him to do for you prayer in many cases is the Lord shaping, shaping and fashioning your heart so that it can be in tune with his. It's why David writes, delight yourself in the Lord, and what? And he will give you the desires of your heart as we spend time with him. Sometimes prayer is presenting our requests to God so that then he can give us what it is that we're asking for in his grace and in his mercy. But sometimes, sometimes prayer is you coming before God Almighty and saying, I don't understand this this mess. Here's what I'm praying for in my limited understanding. And over time, the Lord fashions and shapes it so that our prayers begin to mimic his heart and desire and plan for the situation. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Praying through adversity prepares our heart to receive the Lord's will, whatever it may be. Praying through adversity prepares our heart to receive the Lord's will, whatever it may be. Best example I can give to you this. And it's a tough deal because the illustrations I have to give to you today are hard ones for me because they were times when I had tragedy in my own life. I'll never forget, we're going through, Jack was five, we get the autism diagnosis with him, and I remember they said... The next step for you is to figure out exactly what type he has, exactly where he is on the spectrum, because there were some issues where uh, once he could get into his 20s and 30s, if it was a certain brand of autism they thought he might have, uh, then he could have heart issues uh, in his 20s and 30s and he could have lung deficiency. And so I'm telling you, you say that to a parent, and here's the deal I want to go immediately to the doctor. So we find out who the finest geneticist is in this whole area, and it turns out there's a geneticist here in Northern Virginia that's considered to be one of the finest in the world. And so we then call and say, "Well, when can we get on the docket for this moment for this uh, for this uh, geneticist?" And they were like, "It's a six month wait in order to get on the docket." And I'm telling you, everything in you is like, I just wanted them to say, why don't you come this afternoon, Mr. Randalls? You know what I mean? Because that's what you want. Lung issues, heart issues for your child, trying to wrap my head around special needs and what that means for our family. I'm telling you, I just, I feel this urgency. And all of a sudden we've got six months. We've got this window. We want him to receive the best care. We want to know with insight what's taking place here. And I'm ashamed to say, during that six-month time, my earliest prayers were, God, please heal him. God, please fix him. That was the prayer. And many of you who've navigated family members and loved ones with special needs, a lot of times the prayer starts with, God, fix them. God, fix them. But you begin to realize, and one day I was reading Jeremiah chapter one, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I set you apart with a great purpose. I'm praying, God, fix him, God, heal him. But all of a sudden you come to a realization, either you believe in God's sovereignty or you don't. Either you believe that... Jack was fashioned by almighty God to be exactly who he is, that you and I were fashioned by God before we were born to be exactly who we are. Genetics plays a part, but it's all mixed in the hands of almighty God. He's the one who forms us as he's the one who fashions us. And all of a sudden, the first four weeks, my prayers of heal him, I begin to come to a realization. He doesn't need to be healed. God made him. And you watch it, it begins to shift, and my prayers begin to change. We finally get to the meeting with the geneticist. Six months. And on that day, it's my wife and myself, and Jack is five years old. Geneticist walks in. I mean, she's a bad mamma jamma. She walks in. She's got 20 interns behind her. She walks in. They're holding the clipboard. She's so in charge, they're holding the clipboard, right? They're taking the notes. She walks in. She goes, Mr. Randalls, why are you here? And I told her that something only six months of prayer could have produced. I said, if you'd asked me six months ago, I would have said to fix him. I said, but he doesn't need to be fixed. I said, we're people of faith. We believe God made him. And we're here to figure out how we can help him become who God made him to be. Big old grin comes across her face. She said, that's the right answer. She said, I'm a person of faith as well. She said, you're worried about the lung issues and heart issues. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I can tell you with certainty right now, just being here in the room, that that is not the case. And she said, I could take a whole bunch of your money and pinpoint exactly which chromosome it is that's caused the issue here. But she said, but you don't believe the chromosome is called the issue. You believe that God has formed him said, yes, ma'am. And then she said, and Jack is, she goes, I see a boy who's loved. And she said, and Jack understands a whole lot more than you give him credit. And she goes, don't you, Jack? And Jack is playing in the mini blinds on the side. And he goes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) He's the greatest gift given to our family. We didn't know it at the time. He's the greatest gift that God has ever given to our family. couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in our house, and the way that his form of autism manifests, Jack will never intentionally disappoint you. Never. It's, it's not in him. He just can't do it. And he also struggles to lie. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't lie. It's just, it's just how he's made. And not only that, he doesn't gossip ever. And when somebody else succeeds, he cheers louder for someone else's success than he does for their own. And I'm sitting and I'm watching my son a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, he sins so much less than I do. He was made without the capacity to do it. And I'm watching him and I envied him. What a difference from those years ago where I'm praying God fix him. In many ways, he's a glimpse of eternity. listen to me. When you go through a trial, you don't fully understand. God is good. God is sovereign. And those moments of prayer aren't just so you can say, well, God, I asked for it and you didn't give it. Those moments of prayer are so he can fashion you and shape you so that you become in sync with his heart. David writes it this way. Save your spot in 2 Samuel, but flip over to Psalm 145, verse 18. In Psalm 145, 18, here's what David has to say on the subject of prayer. Look at verse 18. It says, the Lord is near to all who call on him. Underline, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him. In the truth, you might as well say in the hard truth. When the difficult truth is right there in front of us, when it seems like all hope is lost, we go to him and he sometimes in his great mercy grants us the request that we're asking for. But the great gift of Almighty God is going to Him in prayer, and He draws near to us during that time. It begs the question, how much have you tra- prayed about your trial? How much have you prayed about your trial? Is it something you throw up to God once so you can say, I asked Him for help and He didn't give it? Or is it a situation where you kneel before Him, where you beg Him for help day after day, and allow Him to shape you and form you into His likeness, one in spirit with His plan? Now look at the next part of the passage. Let's look at verses 18 through 23. 2 Samuel chapter 12. It says, On the seventh day the child died, and David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they thought, while the child was living, we spoke to David, but he wouldn't listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. So it says, David noticed his servants were whispering among themselves, And he realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked? Yes, they replied, he's dead. So then David, look at this, got up from the ground. Underline got up from the ground. He had not left his knees. He got up from the ground And after he washed, underline washed, and put on lotions, underline put on lotions, and changed his clothes, underline changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshiped, underline went to the house of the Lord, and he worshiped, then he went into his own house, and at at his request, they served him food, and he ate, underline they served him food, and he ate, his servants asked him, why are you acting this way, when the child was alive, you fasted and wept, and now the child is dead, and you get up and eat, he answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live, but now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Underline and highlight, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Now, first of all, just for the record, if you are someone who is navigating a stillbirth or a miscarriage, verse 23 is your verse to circle, highlight, and underline that you will see your child once again. Right here in Scripture, David lets us know that he has this full belief and full understanding that he will see his son again. At the same time, David has gone through his time and moment of difficulty. He's on his knees before the Lord, begging for God's forgiveness, begging for God's mercy in the situation. And all of a sudden, when the child is passed, it says he gets up. He washes up and puts on lotions. You know why lotions are important? It shows that he has been on his face, on his knees, on his toes constantly. And I'm telling you, he was wearing the battlefield from this moment of prayer. He gets up. He cleans up. He goes to church and worship. And then it says he takes some food to eat. It causes them to scratch their head and go, why are you doing this? And he says, because it's over. Because it's done. If you're taking notes, write this down. How do we navigate a trial we don't fully understand? Number one, while you can, pray for help. And number two, when it's over, clean up, eat something, and go to church. Clean up eat something and go to church. When it comes to the point where it is complete, David shows us here sometimes we can feel like the longer that we wallow in the sorrow, the longer we wallow in the mess like a pig, that that makes us more holy or it makes us look like we were more committed to the person that the tragedy is connected to. But that's not the case. Our God has called us, we put it on the shirt, to trade tragedy for victory. He desires for tragedy not to be the thing that defines your. Our life that we would walk in victory. If you're taking notes, write this down. It takes time for wounds to heal, but mud can be scraped off quickly. Let me say it again. It takes time for wounds to heal, but mud, mud can be scraped off quickly. For some of you, you are wearing the battlefield from the time that you have experienced, and it's going to take time for the wounds behind your eyes to shine that light again after you've gone through tragedy. But for some of you, you're wearing the mud like a badge of honor, and it's time you washed up, it's time you put on the lotions, and it's time you ate something so that you could think clearly and start to move forward again. Best example I can give to you in my own life. comes again from a tragedy. Some of you know this, but... I had a botched engagement that took place. The woman night she and I met our first day of school, our freshman year at Oklahoma State, dated three and a half years. She was a great girl. I was a decent guy. We just weren't a great couple together. And so because of that... It just seemed like the next thing. We'd been together for three and a half years, didn't have a reason to break up. And so it just seemed like we should get engaged. And during that engagement period, it became very clear that we needed to split up. But nobody wants to split up. And when you've been together that long, whoever does the breakup is going to look like the villain in that circumstance. And so neither one of us wanted to do that. We met on the first day of school. So every friend was, was not her friend or my friend. It was our friend, right? Because we'd all met each other together. I'll never forget the day that we finally did break up. The Lord set it up. We're at the front door of my little studio apartment. And she pulls the ring off and she throws it at me. And I'm telling you, it was like my only Bruce Lee moment in my life. I mean, I caught it (laughs) midair. And I'll never forget. I catch it. And I turn and look and I see her eyes. Her eyes are staring right at that fist. And it was like, it was over. I mean, it really was done. That was the last real conversation we ever had. And we dated for three and a half years. I got the ring. She sits down. She walks out. And I took the ring and I set it, put it in my pocket to begin with. And then I set it on the counter there right by, it's my kitchen. I set it on the counter right there by the front door of my apartment. And then it was like, have you ever seen Lord of the Rings? It was like, it was like the Gollum ring. I'm like, I don't want to touch it, right? I don't want to touch it. And I've left that ring on the counter, but it is symbolic of three and a half years of failure, of hurt, of bad decisions, some good decisions, but just that ring symbolized all that mess. It was rubble from the battlefield. One of my friends sees the ring on the counter, and he goes, hey, Zach, how are you, is that the ring? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, she threw it at me, I caught it, you know, set it right there. And then he goes, Okay that's weird, you know, and we just kind of went through. (laughs) A month passes. I can't touch it. I'm afraid of it. And it's just sitting there on the counter. Finally, one of my friends comes up and he goes, hey dude, he goes, none of us want to come over to your apartment. He goes, you got that creepy ring sitting on the counter. (laughs) He said, it's just weird. Now listen to me. It would take me a year to get through the emotions of the breakup, but the rubble, the battlefield, I could put on lotion, I could clean up, and I could eat something, and I could go to church. I also figured out the ring on the counter was also the deterrent for me going to worship at church. I felt like I was too broken. I was too ashamed of what I had done. And that ring was the barrier keeping me from coming back in fellowship with Almighty God. So i had taken the ring to a pawn shop, and they offered me 10% of what I paid for it. It sat on the counter a little bit longer after that. And then finally, one day, one of my buddies gave me that talk, and he was like, You just need to get rid of it. So I had the idea, we're in Stillwater, I had the idea that I could drive to Oklahoma City to another pawn shop, and maybe they would give me more in the city than they did in the smaller town. That was not the case. Guy looks at me and says, I can give you, again, about 10% of what you paid for this thing. And then, can't make this stuff up. I look out the window and see across the street the finest restaurant in America, Red Lobster. (laughs) Red Lobster's been a really big part of my story. (laughs) I see Red Lobster. I looked at the guy and I said, you know what, just take it. I need to be done with it. And then I knew that whatever I spent that money on that I had gotten back, that I would remember that forever. Whenever I saw that thing, it would still have that power. So I looked over at the guys that were with me, and I go, hey, y'all want to go eat the meal of your lives at Red Lobster? (laughs) At that time, I had a 50% employee discount also. We took every dollar that we got from the pawn shop on that ring and we ate steak and lobster and crab legs and we dipped all of it in that drawn butter, people. I mean, I'm telling you, it was delicious. <laughs> they ate all the biscuits we wanted and then this is going to be a little graphic and gross for you, but then after you finish that, you're done with it. You know what I mean? It's finished. I didn't ever have to see anything symbolizing that ring ever again, all right? There you go. For some of you, that was wisdom, all right? That was wisdom. <laughs> now, listen to me. Now listen, all of a sudden people came over to my house again, came over to my apartment again, sudden I could have new friendships and relationships again. Some of you are wearing the battlefield, begs that question, are you still wearing the battlefield? Maybe it's time, it's going to take time for your eyes and for those wounds to heal. Maybe it's time you scraped off the mud, maybe it's time you lotioned up those ashy knees, Maybe it's time you figured out a way to stop looking like you're mourning so that you can start believing, this we're going to talk about in a second, that the Lord still has a future for you, that your tragedy does not define your life. Are you still wearing the battlefield? Now flip over to 2 Samuel, and let's look at chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. Here's what it says next. It says, then. David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her, and he lay with her. Underline, he comforted his wife. He went to her and lay with her, and she gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. This is how Solomon comes about. It says the Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. Solomon's big formal name was Jedidiah, which means loved by the Lord. When you read 2 Samuel 11, I'm just going to be honest with you. When you read 2 Samuel 11 about the way David and Bathsheba come together the first time, it reads like a sexual assault. He sees her. He's in the position of power and authority. He sees her. He has her brought to him. He impregnates her. And then when when her husband is killed, she deeply mourns for her husband in the way that he's been murdered. It doesn't make what happened in chapter 11 okay. But for David in this passage, notice the end, that he begins to act like a husband, that he begins to act like a godly leader. He brings her in, he comforts her, and then in the midst of this, the Lord provides Solomon, who will give us so much wisdom. If you're taking notes, our last point today, how do, you navigate, how do we navigate trial? a trial that we don't fully understand? Number one, while you can, pray for help. Number two, when it's over, clean up, eat something, and go to church. And number three, when the time is right, start thinking about the future. Start thinking about what's next. When the time is right, start thinking about what's next. Sometimes we can feel like the longer we wallow in grief, the more committed we were to the person or to the thing that we were grieving. Listen to me. That's a lie straight from the pits of hell. It's not about how long you grieved. In fact, if you don't take anything else away from today, write this down. Are you ready? It's not God's desire for tragedy to be your life's defining characteristic. Let me say that again. It is not God's desire for tragedy to be your life's defining characteristic. We have to trust that the Lord is at work and that his plan is good. To wallow in that self-pity, to wallow in that mourning, is actually to question the sovereignty of God. That he has created you and wasted creation by putting you in this circumstance that is over before it ever even gets started. You know what wallowing looks like? I've told you again, one of my other great failures, I took a job and ended up quitting without another job. I mean, it was a really, really difficult situation. Uh, in fact, I highly encourage you not do it because there's a big, if you ever, ever quit without another job, I mean, you can do it out of principle, but then you're going to eat those principles, all right? I'm just telling you, don't have anything. So when you go through that process, I mean it does a number on you psychologically. It's difficult. I would still do it 100 times out of 100. But man, it's brutal. I would not choose I would not choose it 100 times out of 100. It's really really hard. That being said, I had a friend who was there on staff with me as I went through that journey. And so he became my confidant that I told all the stories to. When I'd have those moments where I needed to talk about it, I would call him. But I'll never forget, it's been about six months, and I had called him a lot to talk about this situation. And so one day, I call him, and he goes, hey, man, how's it going? I go, hey, I need to walk through something. You've been my guy through this, and I really need to walk through this. And here's what he said. He goes, please don't. And I said, "Uh, what do you mean? He goes, it's all we ever talk about, and I'm done. He goes, "Um, can we talk about something else? He goes, otherwise, you need to call somebody else. And here's the deal. At that moment, was he a little harsh? Maybe, all right, maybe. But I needed to hear it. It shocked me and jolted me so badly, then I made this decision, because the way my brain works, I was like, I'm going to, in my journal, start keeping a tally of how often I want to talk about this hurt and this thing. And at first I thought, I'll keep a list on the number number of times per week that I bring this up. I realized very quickly, it was not a weekly list, it was a daily list. I was bringing it up so often, and he had spoken to me and shocked me to the point that I was living in that moment in the past that needed to just go ahead and be buried and die. It needed to be done. I was not honoring the work that I had done in that circumstance by wallowing in the morning that it didn't work out. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Are you trying to honor the past by denying yourself a future? Let me say it again. Are you trying to honor the past by denying yourself a future? If one of you are in mourning over someone that you've deeply loved that has passed away, really think this through. Would they want you to mourn for them for the rest of your life? There's a time period to do that. And I'm telling you, those wounds, those wounds heal over time. I still have hurts from the death of my father and the way all of that came together. I still have hurts from experiences I've had when I was younger. But a believer in Jesus Christ says, Either we believe God is sovereign or we don't. Either we believe God is good, that he has a plan, that he's working it together for our good and the good of the world and the good of the kingdom and the good of eternity, or we don't. So we have to have a point where we say, Lord, I choose to look to the future. I choose to look to the horizon for what it is that you will do in this new day. You ever read Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11? It's a famous verse that's on a whole bunch of greeting cards. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We forget what verse 10 has to say, and there's a reason verse 10 doesn't go on greeting cards. Flip with me, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 9 and we're going to read verses 10 and 11 such hope and joy in verse 10, in verse 11. Look at Jeremiah 29, verse 10. It says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, under 70 years, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. The lead-in for Jeremiah 29, 11 is verse 10, where he says, for 70 years, it's going to be a struggle for you to understand." Why it's so hard every single day, but I have a plan for you It's a good plan a good plan for you a good plan for your people a good plan for your family a good plan for eternity You just have to trust me look to the future and don't wallow in the death of the past It's a great word for us as believers in jesus christ during this day and time Look to the future. God is up to something When we begin to look and go, it's the end of the world, it's the end of the world, it's the end of the world, that's been cried out every year since the beginning of time. We've got to believe God is sovereign. Either you believe it or you don't. Whether it comes to Ukraine, the United States, your family, or just you personally, either you believe God is sovereign or you don't. At the end of the day, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Make the decision that you're going to trust him. And then if you're trying to honor the past by denying yourself a future, it's time to get up, clean up, and then allow him to start the healing process. It's real hard to heal the infection when you're wallowing in the mud. Can I say that to you again? It's real hard to heal the infection when you're wallowing in the mud. We put it on the shirts, trade tragedy for victory. I wish I could tell you it's a trade that we make. It's a trade where we take our busted life and give it to God, and then he takes our tragedy and presents us with victory. But you got to trust him today. I appreciate you listening. There's so much going on in our world right now. Whether times are good, times are bad, or times are average or complicated, We have to look to God and trust his sovereignty. Thanks for listening. Let's bow our heads for prayer.